Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Happy 2020. Happy 2020. Are you excited for this episode? I am. We have so much to talk about. I'm so excited. So let's just dive in, shall we? Yes. A quick announcement or two. We have a new patron. Yay. Um, Yeah. Ryan Morden, who found us after reading Women Rise Up. Uh, He shared with us an email, as a feminist Catholic in my mid-30s, it's reaffirming to hear you guys discuss faith in a way that aligns with my morals and values, which is awesome. We're so glad to have you with us, Ryan. Yeah. And if you want to join Ryan in supporting us, go over to patreon.com slash kindreds. Also wanted to say we've got some things in the works for 2020, so just stay tuned. Um, And remember, we're on Spotify. We have a few listeners over there, but if you Mm -hmm. love using Spotify for listening to music, you might want to check us out. And if you have a sec, review us and rate us on Apple Podcast. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had a review, and we would love to read yours on the show. Yes, absolutely. I am so excited today to be talking about our topic. People might remember from our listener request episode that we answered a question about deconstructing and reconstructing our faith after leaving evangelicalism. And we talked for a bit about discovering and honoring our inner voices. We promised that we would come back and talk about the ways that we do that. So today we're following up on that conversation and talking about the mystical aspects of spirituality that we don't always see at church on Sunday, depending on what church you go to, that is. (laughs) So... All right, Katie, let's talk about mysticism. Let's dive in. So what even is mysticism? Yeah. Who is a mystic? Are we getting all woo-woo, (laughs) y'all? Are we talking about, you know, going off and living in a cave for the rest of our lives kind of thing? So that's definitely not what we're talking about. Well, it's not all what we're talking about, I guess you should say. (laughs) Yeah, not completely. we'll offer a couple of definitions about what mysticism is. I really like this definition from Evelyn Underhill, who was an English Anglo-Catholic writer and pacifist uh, who lived in the first half of the 20th century. And she said, mysticism is the art of union with reality. The mystic is a person who has attained that union to a greater or lesser degree or who aims at and believes in such attainment. And what I love about this definition is how inclusive and expansive Mm -hmm. it is, because you don't have to personally have had a mystical experience. You just have to believe in the possibility for yourself Mm -hmm. or for somebody else. So I really love that um, because I feel like we could all participate in that regardless of what we've personally experienced. Yeah. And then a more current definition. I loved what Mirabai Starr said. Um, she is the author of Wild Mercy, Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom of the Women Mystics, which I need to read that book. Mm-hmm, um, me too. Yeah. So she says, a mystic is a person who has a direct experience of the sacred, unmediated by conventional religious rituals or intermediaries. I love the the focus on the self mm-hmm. and not needing the intermediary. I yes. really love that part. Me too. A few definitions that I love come from Father Richard Rohr. Love him. I do too. And I think we actually mentioned him on our last episode as well. He is a Franciscan friar and he's an author on spirituality. He says, a mystic sees things in their wholeness, connection, and union, not only their particularity. Mm, That's really good. Yeah. And coming back to that concept of the inner voice, he also teaches that if you want to find God, then honor God within you and you will always see God beyond you. Mm, For it is only God in you who knows where and how to look for God. 
So yeah. good. I just got chills. <laughs> I know. These are part of his writings on the website for the Center for Action and Contemplation. So I encourage people to check that out if they're interested in learning more. And this last quote of his is one that I feel the most strongly connected to. What mystics finally do, it seems to me, is heal in themselves the fragmentation that is evident in the world. Instead of hating, excluding, or dismissing it over there in others, they heal it in themselves. This healing is God's spirit working in us. Mystics see the whole, the good, the bad, the ugly, and beautiful in themselves and in others, refusing to hate or ignore any of it. This allows them to have immense sympathy, empathy, and compassion, and to work in service of the world's healing. I'm not sure if you can come to such empathy in any other way. Mm. And that is the definition of mysticism that I really feel in my heart, and it's how I've become comfortable thinking of myself as a mystic, because I didn't really grow up necessarily feeling like mysticism was a part of my spirituality. Did you? No, it seemed like mysticism was an ancient practice, yeah. but not something for today. Yeah, I agree with that. So I should say here, we're also going to be talking throughout this episode about some new age practices, but I don't want to just lump all of new age together with spiritual mysticism because they aren't the same thing. So I want to clarify, what's the difference between new age and mysticism? So the Wikipedia entry for new age says that there's no real agreed upon definition of new age, but generally it's considered a spiritual movement that started in Western countries in the 1970s. New age has roots in Taoism, Hinduism, Gnosticism, Theosophy, spiritualism, and neo-paganism. It kind of pulls together elements of all of those things. And among new age practices are the use of astrology, tarot cards, fortune telling, alternative healing, chanting, drumming, things like that. But what New Age shares with mysticism is they both support a holistic form of divinity that lives in all of the universe, including human beings themselves. And so there's thus a strong emphasis on the spiritual authority of the self, like we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite the same, but New Age practices can be used to support mysticism, like using astrology or tarot to better understand ourselves and think through our problems, or using incense and crystals to help us relax or achieve a calm state for meditation or prayer. So what are the ways that mysticism and Christianity intersect, and what are the tensions between these practices? Katie, do you have thoughts? Yeah, so I know you're going to talk about what it was like growing up Catholic, but for me, I never saw in my childhood, any intersection that was explicitly said. Um, mm -hmm. And that's because there was just a whole part of Christianity that I was not being taught. And that mm -hmm. was early, early ancient Christianity. So talking about the first few hundred years after Jesus was murdered <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and before Christianity was really Christianity at all, it was a form of Judaism that people were practicing and before mm -hmm. it was the official religion of the Roman Empire, which Constantine did in the fourth century. So there are all of these sacred texts that have been found really over the last couple hundred of a hundred years that didn't make it into the canon that mm -hmm. were actually supposed to be destroyed <laughs> um, once the canon of the of the Christian New Testament was put together. So, but there were these scribes who you know found ways to hide them, and we've now found them. So, a lot of these texts that we don't find in a traditional New Testament are very, very mystical in nature. Mm -hmm. The way that Jesus is described, the way that he talks, um, 
it really is about the inner realm, like very similar to what Father Richard Rohr was talking about. So some of my favorites of those texts are the Gospels of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary, and that's Mary Magdalene. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But in these ancient texts, Jesus is really talking about the inner realm of the self. So just a couple of quotes. This first one's from the Gospel of Thomas. He says, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you, right? So like starting wow. from within, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it gives me chills. And mm-hmm. then uh, the Gospel of Mary. I love this too, because it speaks to the quote that you shared. Every nature, every modeled form, every creature exists in and with each other. So there is no division. We are yeah. all one. And any sense of division is a, const- a false construction that we really are. All of us, the universe, we are interconnected. We are one. Um, so these are ancient Christian texts, right, that we don't hear about or talk about or hear read and from the pulpit on Sunday. But these were very much part of the influential texts that shaped early Christianity that were then yeah. sort of lost for over a thousand years. Um, but I love reclaiming those because it shows just how deep the roots of mysticism are in Christianity. Yep. And honestly, if you think about the practice of communion whether you're Protestant or Catholic, we are symbolically or literally in the Catholic sense, eating God, which seems very mystical to me. (laughs) Yes. I think it's really a shame. I would say a lot of folks don't even know that there are Christian texts outside of the Bible and that somebody at some point had to decide what goes in the Bible. And that meant that there were things that were left out of the Bible. Yes, very intentionally left out. Yeah, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that too. But so you mentioned that I grew up Catholic, and I want to clarify, I grew up Catholic adjacent. My dad's family was Catholic, and I grew up in my mom's tradition. Um, We were mostly Methodist. But I attended Mass with my dad's side of the family my whole life. And something that always struck me about Catholic Mass is the mystical element. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of amazing. Catholic Mass engages all the senses. There's Mm -hmm. incense. There's chanting, the standing, sitting, kneeling. Sometimes there's Latin. And like you said, Catholics believe that when they take communion, they're actually eating the body and blood of Christ. And it's not just Mass. I mean – Some Catholic people travel all over the world to places where other people have had visions of Mary or places where the image of Jesus has appeared, like on the side of a building. And I think it's really cool. I think that to me, it seems that Catholics aren't afraid of the mysteries of faith. And I see that lived out in my grandmother. She has been through a lot. She has experienced a lot of pain and suffering in her life. She has outlived both of her husbands and she lost her youngest son a few years ago when my uncle died. And when I talk to her about her life, she says things like, you know, there's just things we can't know about why things happen Mm -hmm. or the way God works. You know, it's just all a mystery. And I think that that's really lovely. And a side note, she also believes in ghosts and She's had visions of some of our dead relatives like appearing to her in her dreams. And I think she's just really open to the possibilities, you know, um, and open to some of the more mystical communion we can have with God. 
I love that. I do too. I really do. But then on the flip side, my <laughs> Protestant family was very skeptical. And I would say even like downright afraid of things that were just that were mystical or just like unfamiliar. It was all kind of lumped together with occultism, which to them meant atheism and so it was all just kind of like a big no-no it was all off limits so I wasn't allowed to have a Ouija board I couldn't wear when yin yangs were popular and all the kids were wearing them at school I wasn't allowed to because it meant I wasn't a Christian (laughs) and even my high school had some issues with this um our a lot of our teachers and school board members were southern baptist and when I was a senior in high school I was doing a um my English research paper on the Salem witch trials and I went to the school library to check out some books to do my research and they were in the restricted section (laughs) and I wasn't allowed to actually leave the school with them I could only check them out by the hour and I had to like make photocopies and stuff like that and I asked the librarian she's like oh well it's about witchcraft so we can't let you take this home and I it was literally like the W volume of the encyclopedia like whoa and yes. the Salem witch trials were about burning people accused of witchcraft it wasn't yes. about witchcraft itself nothing like how to be a witch or like anything like that but our I mean it was spooky enough for our school to decide that um kids didn't need free access to that kind of information that so. is fascinating did you read yeah. the crucible was that part of your no fascinating oh we my did gosh not read so the interesting well, as mm-hmm. you were talking, I thought about something that kind of connects back to the the Christian mysticism thing. And that was at my school, this is so strange to me, but there was a group of folks, it must have been for a certain class, maybe a history class, where they would reenact the Joan of Arc trial. Huh. And, you know, Joan of Arc felt very much like she heard the voice of God telling yeah. her to go into battle and to dress in masculine of center clothing and all this and was yeah. burned at the stake for it. And I remember just being so fascinated with that story. I thought it was so amazing. And that was probably my like little baby feminist coming out. But I think back on that, I'm like, that was so strange that this was a yearly tradition at my school that they would reenact this Joan of Arc trial. That is pretty random. It's random, but like actually a very cool introduction to mysticism, if you think about it. Yeah, it really is. And what happens when people are out and open about their mysticism? Abs- mm. Yes, you're burned at the stake, just like the witches. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I had some parallels um, in terms of the sort of like Protestant influence or fear of anything that was considered like outside of the Christian tradition. And it wasn't mm-hmm. so much from family, but it was definitely from the evangelical community in which I was mm-hmm. I wouldn't say raised, but grew up in. And so things like Ouija boards and conjuring up Bloody Mary at sleepovers, right? Would always be like a conflict among those attending the sleepover whose parents were super strict Christians versus those who weren't. And even reading Harry Potter for some people I knew was was sort of off limit. So, of course, those are the things I was completely drawn to. Yep. Totally into all of it. The minute you say, oh, no, you can't do that. I mean, it's just going to make kids want to do it. Yeah, I I think it was even more for me about like I was just naturally drawn to that stuff. Like it was never um, banned in my household. But I think you're right. Like whenever you ban something, it makes it a lot more enticing. Yep. Yep. I was always too scared to do the Bloody Mary thing at the sleepovers (laughs) or the like light as a feather, stiff as a board. I was always too scared to do that. So 
Let's shift gears and talk about some of the mystical tools and practices that have been gaining popularity lately. I don't know if you've noticed on Instagram, but in certain parts of the internet and social media, mysticism and this concept of like the modern witch is definitely having a bit of a moment. Mm -hmm. You can follow Instagram accounts of astrologers, tarot readers, all kinds of self-described witches. And I think... And you can tell me if you think this is right. I think some of that is speaking to how a lot of people are losing trust in our institutions. So, for example, folks who don't have health insurance or access to good health care or people who just don't feel heard or respected by their doctors are turning to alternative medicine and therapies. Mm -hmm. And it's not a huge leap from things like yoga and herbal supplements and meditation to crystals and Reiki and tarot. And I think... A lot of folks, especially young people, are also leaving institutional church in favor of more solitary practices that honor their inner wisdom or even honor their ancestry. And like you said, practitioners or followers of these traditions are often women, non-binary folks, LGBTQ folks. I also came across this article in The Atlantic called The Witches of Baltimore about how young black millennial women are leaving Christianity to explore the spiritual traditions and witchcraft of their African heritage, which mostly stems from the Yoruba traditions of West Africa. So So I don't know. What do you think, Katie? Yeah, I well, you're definitely right in terms of the uptick and the interest in people self-describing themselves as witches or Mm -hmm. practicing different things, um, going back to their ancestral roots. And I see it as this collective pushback against the ways that our institutions have told us that we can know something or be an authority in something because that's how we preserve institutions. We gain institutional respect so that we can then become leaders of the institution and keep it moving. And that's how we are considered legitimate or not. And this is definitely true of Christianity as well. Like when I was Mm -hmm. talking about, um, you know, the texts that were left out by the Roman government and the councils of Nicaea that put the new Testament together, women were so incredibly influential in these early Christian uh, movements, including with Paul, y'all, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the religion to be legitimate, it was basically stripped of all of these feminine influences. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm reading a book right now called A New New Testament that was put together by a group of scholars from different traditions, like Jewish rabbis and Christian bishops and stuff. And they they put together the books that you'll find in the New Testament with some of these texts that were left out. And it you can see how the texts that were excluded were deliberately chosen because they um, questioned patriarchy. So it's like the mm. whole thing just starts to tell a narrative, right, about what are the mm-hmm. values that we want. And it was all about preserving male dominance. So um, and when I was thinking about what that looks like today, especially when thinking about the ways in which women or people who identify as feminine, feminine of center are drawn to this stuff, the article that I quoted from with one of the quotes is from an Oprah magazine article called Signs You mm-hmm. Might Be a Mystic. And I thought this is so interesting because, yeah, it's really mainstream, mm-hmm. but it also shows that it's popular among women's audiences in particular. And we know that when something becomes pop- popular among women, it's immediately dismissed as frivolous, which uh, I know you frivolous. have thoughts about. Frivolous, basic, anything we like is basic. So even our spirituality gets lumped in with pumpkin spice lattes and Ugg boots. and Right. Yeah. Which is disempowering then the movement Mm -hmm. of energy of us coming Mm -hmm. together in community. Right. Absolutely. So there's, it's not, you know, there's something very sinister 
undergirding that, which is we the, the patriarchy doesn't want this happening, y'all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So just absolutely. make it sound silly, make us seem like we're basic or frivolous so that we mm-hmm. won't continue. So we've got to keep doing it. And um, when I think about how this conversation about mysticism connects with the work that we do for the social good and for justice, it's about dismantling those systems of oppression, um, patriarchy and others that that have told us the only way that you can know something is be taught something externally mm-hmm. by an authority who's white and male and know it in your brain and in your intellect. And it's told us to cut ourselves off from the other ways of knowing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I, I guess I will call myself a mystic in the sense of what Evelyn Underhill said, that I believe an encounter with the divine is attainable. Then, then to me, practicing mysticism is an act of resistance because mm-hmm. I am actively rejecting the idea that the only way I can know something is intellectually. And mm-hmm. I'm choosing to embrace the other ways that I know things, either at a heart space or a gut level or that like chills in my arms and legs just saying, like, actually, there's lots of different ways that we can know something. And mm-hmm. as a white person in this space, it helps me decondition myself from those cultural ideas that the only people who can lead in our movements or contribute yes. are people who have been schooled in a certain way or can write or speak in a certain way, who are elitist, white, male, straight, Christian. Um, yeah. And it helps me decolonize my mind. And that means it helps me see the ways in which I've been conditioned to think and react to others. Um, so I think all of these experiences of other ways of knowing help me remember that the divisions that we create amongst ourselves are false constructions mm-hmm. because we are at the very core interconnected and we are all one and what we do to ourselves and to each other impacts everybody. So I believe that in my head, but I think these spiritual practices are actually root me in the truth in a way that I feel and more than just my brain, I feel it in a soul space. Does that Preach. resonate? <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely it does. I don't think I can top much of what you said. <laughs> I guess I was thinking about like other ways that we kind of dismiss the sort of knowing that we call it irrational. We say there's no science to back it up. Right. And so we just dismiss anything that's sort of in the mystical realm as just pseudoscience or just BS, you know? Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think that it's because anything women are in are into, our culture makes it small. Mm-hmm. So I want to dig in a little bit to why mysticism, New Age practices, witchcraft seem to be suddenly gaining popularity. I came across this article in New York Times a few months ago called The Witches Are Having Their Hour. And this article is an interview with Pam Grossman, who's a writer and a podcaster. She has a podcast called The Witch Wave, if you're interested. She is a self-identified witch. And I love what she has to say about it. She says, with every wave of feminism, there's a renewed interest in the witch. This started as early as the 19th century with the suffragists. Matilda Jocelyn Gage, who was a contemporary of Susan B. Anthony, wrote a book in 1893 called Woman, Church, and State. And in that book, she talked about how she believed those who were accused of being witches were, in fact, brilliant minds of their age and a threat to the patriarchy. (laughs) So I feel like Pam Grossman would probably agree with a lot of the things we've been saying today. Yeah, I think so too. But of course, I feel like we should mention whenever something gets popular, there's always the need for the conversation around who started it, who it's meant for, who's co-opting it or appropriating it. And you mentioned earlier, you know, we are white people in this space talking about mysticism. And 
we need to make sure that we're mindful that we see this kind of co-opting and appropriating happening all the time in fashion, music, even the natural birth movement. White people jump on the bandwagon of something that communities of color have been doing for decades or centuries, and all of a sudden now it's legitimized in popular culture in a way that it wasn't before, and people are doing it for simply the aesthetic value because it looks cool without mm-hmm. knowing the spiritual roots or meaning of it. And then inevitably follows the white people who are coming in to make money off of it. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the sort of new age world a very serious example of when this happens are the spiritual practice of indigenous people are often appropriated and misused by white new age followers things like smudging with white sage going on a vision quest or going to sweat lodge um even things like wearing feather headdresses to music festivals like those things have sacred meaning in cultures that we need to understand before we just are like oh this looks cool or this might help me meditate like we need to do a little research first find out what the actual meanings of it are before we just take it and use it for ourselves Mm -hmm. oh I'm so glad you brought this up and it makes me think of the intersection with capitalism and that Mm -hmm. and I'm I fall prey to this too which is oh I want to practice something new I need to go buy something Mm -hmm. in order to do it rather than just seeing, is this something I can just do on my own? Do I need like a special thing for it? Yeah. <laughs> Got to have to have the right equipment to be spiritual. Um, yeah. But that commodification of spirituality, and we've talked about this with self-care as well. Um, yes. And the appropriation of it for the white consumer is something that we always need to be aware of. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but I just did my 23andMe because I really want to figure oh, wow. out where the heck did my family actually come from and yeah. maybe start exploring what the religion of the indigenous people there was. So most of my, or I think the strongest percentage is from Ireland, which I've never been to Ireland. I'm like, maybe I need to go explore kind of Celtic traditions and see if that resonates with me at a, at a different level than just like going and handpicking something because it looks cool. Like really trying to think about like in an authentic way, what can I claim as my own heritage? And then what can I learn from, from other people's heritages that are not mine. Yeah, and I I don't remember what episode we've talked about this on in the past, but we I, I think maybe in our What It Means to Be White episode, we talked about how white people often feel like we don't have a culture. Mm-hmm. And so we exoticize the cultures of people of color. And I think that that happens in the spiritual realm as well. Like we feel like we don't have a spiritual lineage. But I love what you're doing. You're um, – actually looking back at your own ancestry to find out like what your spiritual heritage might be and I think Mm -hmm. that that's so cool and to be fair I did buy something for that but I wouldn't have known otherwise you know yeah because we don't have that record in my family and I feel like that's one of the downsides of being pulled into whiteness in the U.S. is that Mm -hmm. we're sort of all lumped together like it doesn't really matter where our roots Mm -hmm. are and I think that's a huge Um, collective loss for white folks who don't know where they came from. I agree. I agree with that. So we're going to shift and talk about things that we've tried in this realm, which I know could be a whole other episode, I have a feeling. Yeah. But are there a couple of things that you want to share that you have been doing that our folks might want to try out? Yes. So 
I had a moment last summer. I think 2019 was a tough year for both of us. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I had a moment last summer where I was just completely exhausted and burned out from work and life. And deep in my soul, I felt a call to shake things up. Mm. I realized that my old ways of taking care of my heart and my spiritual life and my mind just weren't cutting it anymore. So I decided to start trying some new things and some new ways of looking at the world. And this feeling happened to align with a full moon, which if you believe in synchronicity and that things happen for a reason and that timing happens mm -hmm. for a reason, you might believe that's not a coincidence. So I decided to do a full moon ritual. The full moon is traditionally a time of releasing things uh, that it's time to let go of. So I wrote a list of things that I was ready to let go of, and I burned them one by one in a candle in the moonlight, said a prayer, kind of really grounded myself intentionally. And I can't even tell you what I wrote on that paper now mm. because that's like how seriously I believe I've let it go. I don't yeah. even remember what I wrote. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and since then, I've just tried to be a lot more mindful of the cyclical nature of life, how the tide goes in and out, how the moon revolves around the earth, the earth revolves around the sun, and the lessons that I can draw from that about starting over, trying again, forgiveness of myself and others, and growth and change. And I have a journal calendar that's based on the lunar cycle and not the Gregorian calendar, which um, has been challenging me to just rethink the nature of time and to think about things as having a season. And that's been a, f a really fun way to connect with that idea. So that's one thing. And then another thing I've done is I've set up a small altar on a shelf in my bedroom. And I've mostly put items that belong to or were given to me by the women in my life, family and friends and some who are no longer with us. And I smile whenever I pass by it. It gives me courage and it makes me think of the like feminine ancestry and energy that I'm tied to that I'm furthering. Oh, I love so, that. And then yeah. the connection to the moon, right? It's the feminine energy as well. Yes. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So oh. what about you? Well, I want to say thank you to you because I think that your spiritual awakening, if that's what you want to call it, um, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I think your exploration and talking about it with me really opened me up to also explore. So it feels like not derivative, but I feel inspired by you. So Yay. Um, I've been practicing some things too. And I really think that tuning into the rhythms of nature in the universe is, is powerful. And I love the idea of the, the lunar journal slash calendar. I think that that's really great. So one thing that I've started to do when I go for walks outside as I've left, I leave all my devices at home so I can really be connected to like the sounds and the trees and the birds and the sun and the moon and all of that. I feel like I've just sort of like closed myself off a little bit from nature. And so mm -hmm. allowing myself to see and experience and like, even sometimes I'll see the birds, like a flock of birds will come by and I'm just like, hello birds. <laughs> like just, <laughs> I sound silly, but it really does make me feel more connected to the world around me. And remember, I'm never alone. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very simple thing that anyone could try. Even if you live in a city, like maybe there's mm -hmm. even just a tree that you pass by or birds around. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be like a nature walk, you know, out at the yeah. park. It can just be or wherever the beach. you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And then some other things that I've tried that I really like that are, I would say these are things that have stuck for the last few months. So one is guided meditation. Um, Mm -hmm. There's so many good ones available on YouTube, um, you know, and other apps like Insight Timer that's free. Just for me, I've talked about meditation being really challenging. And it was because for me, focus on the breath is not enough. I need Mm -hmm. something that is very immersive and like lets me follow a storyline And there are lots of guided meditations that are very spiritual in nature, like talking about imagining yourself five years from now, or just picturing yourself rooted into the earth. And then, you know, picturing golden light around you and like feeling the love Mm. of the universe around you. And so that's been really great. Um, I also have gotten into tarot cards. Yes. Which Ashley helped me sort of, I've been wanting to do that for a long time, but you helped me open up my deck and actually start using it. And I think tarot gets such a bad rap. It does. It really does. You know, I actually just watched an episode of Shit's Creek last night where they made it seem like it's a scary thing. And it really is just like accessing any other sacred art or or sacred writing. Like it, these are yeah. images that people have been looking at for, for centuries and maybe even longer than that. And I just love keeping track of what cards I pull and the message that is giving me for that day and just the kinds of reflection that it causes me to, to do. Um, and yeah. then related to that is free writing where I, cause I love to journal, I love to write. And sometimes I'll just ask a question, like meditate for a minute and then I'll just start typing or writing. And I don't think about it. I just sort of let that stream of consciousness go. And it's pretty cool what can emerge, like stuff that I wasn't necessarily thinking about can come from that heart space on the page. So that's all really cool. You know, I think something that this is making me think of is how the element of play is a big part of it. And I think that that's something that's really missing in our like kind of straight laced church culture. Yes, there's no play. Yeah, I think of tarot kind of like a game. It's a very playful. I mean, you could take it very seriously, of course. It's like surprise. You never know what you're going to get. It is. It's (laughs) surprising. And I mean, if you think about some of its roots as just a a card game in Italy, it's just a game that can help us think about our problems. It's no different than when we used to do. uh, Did you do that game? growing up where you make the little fortune teller out of paper and then like pick a number and yeah the little the little handheld fortune teller yeah I mean it's that kind of you can bring that same kind of element of play to it it doesn't have to be so serious and I don't know I just think about how am I not engaging all of that in my spirituality like my body movement play like where is all of that and how can I incorporate that back in love that yes I think play and fun are a huge part of it we've talked about how that's been a real challenge for both of us yep but there's something about this that does feel like it's an adventure it does yeah Mm -hmm. and giving yourself permission to just try things it's Mm -hmm. really fun yeah I wanted to end with this really quick prayer that I found called the Mystics Prayer, and I should have looked up how to pronounce this person's name, but I think it's Hazrat Anayat Khan, who's a Sufi seer. It says, give me, O God, deep thoughts, high dreams, few words, much silence, the narrow path, the wide outlook, the end in peace. Amen. I love that. I think that is a beautiful note to end our conversation on. Mm, so good. I like it too. Why don't we talk about what we're reading and listening to? Ooh, y'all, I'm so excited about this. Oh my yeah. goodness. Um, 
I just read Mary Magdalene Revealed by Megan Watterson. And it, as I'm even thinking about it, I'm getting chills all over because it was so good. (laughs) I'm going to have to read this. Yes. um, I bought it on the Kindle, like, I don't know, on a whim or someone recommended it to me. And then I sprained my ankle and I was on the couch and had time to read. So I read it in a, like a day and a half. And it's about the gospel of Mary Magdalene. One of those texts that was not included in the Bible. And in fact, there's three copies of it. And in each copy, the first, the first six pages have been removed and destroyed. So we don't even know Mm. what it says. Um, so it must have been real good, y'all. <laughs> that she was married to Jesus, maybe. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but it's amazing. And so Megan Watterson talks about like, her own struggle to find herself within the practice of Christianity. She went to Union Seminary and then Harvard Divinity School. Mm-hmm. Um, but she really struggled with like, how do I have an authentic Christian experience? And for her, the gospel of Mary was really a way for her to see herself in the tradition. And she Mm -hmm. writes this beautiful book um, about the text in her own life. It's such a good spiritual memoir. And um, the gospel is completely mystical and God is not referred to with gender. God is called the good. I love that. Throughout it. And and Jesus says there is no such thing as sin Ah, in it. I love (laughs) it. So good. Yeah. It's so good because I think one of the things I've been struggling with, and I don't know if you if you're too, but I'm a Baptist minister. I want to keep my Christian identity, mm-hmm. but I also want it to feel authentic with all these other things that I'm learning and experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so finding ways to finding parts of the tradition that resonate with the new growth is really important for me. And this book really, really helped me. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. Mary Magdalene Revealed. By Megan Watterson. I can't wait. I'm going to go look for that this afternoon, I think. Yes. So, so good. my pick is a little on topic too, but a bit more um, pop culture y. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. A friend gave me an audio version of The Witches Are Coming by Lindy West. Have you ever read anything by her? I've read Shrill. Yeah, yeah. Shrill is her memoir. It's so good. It's about what it's like to be a fat female journalist who writes about feminism and pop culture on the internet. And she is very funny and just really sharp. I highly recommend Shrill as well as Hulu has made a TV show out of it um, starring oh, AD Bryant. Yeah. It's so good. The second season is either just started or about to. And she's famous for being viciously trolled online. Mm-hmm. This American Life did an episode about her. She had the opportunity to confront one of her worst trolls who actually like her dad had just died. And this yes. guy started a Twitter account called like Lindy West Dead Dad or something like that and trolled yes. her with just horrible things about like your dad would be so disappointed in you and stuff like that. I mean, it was just terrible. And she's like, man, this is beyond just regular trolling. This is something serious. And she actually had a chance to talk to this guy and just ask him why he was doing it. And, you know, it's about like you would think yeah. he was just a sad, depressed, lonely dude. Like, yeah. yeah. So I highly recommend that This American Life episode. We'll put it in the show notes for people who are interested and her book Shrill. But The Witches Are Coming is her newest book. She takes on topics like reproductive rights, climate change, hashtag Me Too, toxic masculinity, misogyny. And in my favorite chapter, it's so disturbing, but it's so funny. 
She goes back and watches all of those Adam Sandler movies from the late 90s, early 2000s that were super popular when we were in high school, like um, Billy Madison, Madison. The Waterboy, The Wedding Singer, like even some that I hadn't heard of. She watches them all and she writes about the experience of like, I watched these in high school and thought they were funny. And yeah. I and I didn't think too much about them, but now I'm watching them again as an adult, like in horror, because I'm realizing that these were the movies that were teaching the teenage boys of our generation how to be men. Oh my gosh. Yeah, when you think about that, just <laughs> it's funny, but it's also sobering. And that's the whole book is like that. It's a very kind of serious, sobering take on just our pop culture attitudes right now. And she addresses our politicians um, using words like witch hunt to describe just Mm -hmm. like being criticized, you know? Right. And just how insulting that is to people who were actually murdered as witches throughout time. And that was always women and people from marginalized communities, not like powerful white dudes, you know, with, with political office, you know? So it's just a, it's a great book. Highly recommend that's the witches are coming by Lindy West. Adding it to my Goodreads list. And now, Katie, you're up for Kindreds of the Moment. Yes. Well, this is another person that you helped me find because I I hadn't heard of her before. But um, I want to lift up Dianca London, who was on the Witch Wave podcast with Pam Grossman that we talked about before. And um, Dianca writes about witchcraft, literature, and Black culture. And on this episode, she talks about what it was like growing up in predominantly white schools, Um, and what it was like growing up in Christian, like black church and how now she really for her discovering, um, black women poets, like, um, Audre Lorde really helped her think about magic in a different kind of way. Like she sees the words of poetry as incantation, which I just Mm -hmm. absolutely love. Mm -hmm. And they also have this really good conversation about the history of, of witches who are not white, (laughs) you know, witches of color. Uh, that we've never heard about before. So she's lifting up this, you know, part of history that again has been made invisible to us because a lot of the witch trials I'm familiar with are about white women, yes, mm-hmm. um, or European women. And she also talks about Christianity and witchcraft shaping her spiritual life. And I think again, it's really helpful for me to hear from people who are incorporating different kinds of spiritual practices, including Christianity, into their lives, and realizing it's not contradictory. We can, mm-hmm. the, one can actually lift up and elucidate the truth of the other. And I just really loved her conversation. I found it just to be very compelling and very inspiring. So that's Dianca London. We'll put her Twitter and Instagram accounts up so you can follow her writing and pictures and her life because she's just awesome. And I'm so glad that she was on the witch wave. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So that's it for today. Next time, we're going to be talking about something that was also suggested in our listener request episode, and that is the tough topic of reproductive loss. We will be talking about the full range of losses that a person can experience and how to support yourself or someone you love who's going through it. So Mm, that's going to be really important. Yeah. All right, Katie, I'll talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 